podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. It can be difficult to sense when someone is out for their own best interest. They often will disguise it by propping others up, showering compliments that usually involve some recognition of intelligence, which is a red flag. Often a compliment on intelligence is the complimenter's way of complimenting themselves. After all, if they can recognize your intelligence, what does that make them? Pretentious, sure. But what's the goal? It signals them as at least as smart, but probably smarter than you, right? On a higher level, even, perhaps? You're a smart person if you're listening to this podcast. You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to tell you. You're a sharp one. Narcissistic, sociopathic types are everywhere. Liars, manipulators, cons. People really are a gamble to get involved with. Dangerous, deceitful, fickle creatures. Big smiles under calculating eyes for the most part reasonable unless they're hungry, scared, or even a little uncomfortable. There isn't a long list of human types considered worse than the deadbeat. A deadbeat, of course, is someone who takes on responsibility and then shamelessly fails to live up to it. Be that a sister-in-law borrowing money with no intentions of ever paying it back, a father deserting his wife and kids, disappearing with his secretary, a mother failing to pay child support, happy to trade time with her children for time spent shooting up. The deadbeat is a despicable character in our society, and they come in many forms. The worst being the deadbeat who sticks around, the deadbeat in denial. It's been said that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. There's nothing more toxic, more dangerous than having a prominent person in your life your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, a sibling that doesn't give a shit about you, who hates you, in fact. They stick around only because they see it in your eyes, sense it in your body language that you see through them. And a deadbeat, more often than not, naturally being a narcissist, can't let that slide. They won't let you go until you acquiesce to the way it's going to be, the way it is, with them. And if you don't, Well, then you're a problem, and a deadbeat solves problems in a very specific way, by chalking them up as unimportant, then erasing them. And we are back. Episode 21 up. Congratulations. We made it. Yeah. Congratulations. Your podcast can now officially drink legally. You know, you could have also, your podcast could have been in the military for three years. Why three years? Because it's in at 18 when to go in the military. Oh, unless you, yeah, unless you signed up, uh, unless it's World War II and you forged your parents' signature like they did often and joined at 16, I guess. Yeah. Technically, depending on the time frame, you could have been in it at, you know, five years. Any way you look at it, at this point, you your podcast is a legal alcoholic veteran of this world now. Congratulations. And that feels good. Yeah. And that feels good. And we've got 
a lot of hate mail, and that feels good. I knew we'd get there. A lot of uh, love mail. That feels better. Yeah. Not going to lie. A lot of deck picks. A lot of... You've gotten deck... You've gotten... Some beautiful deck, decks uh, picks? out there. Yeah. Like, um... This this one guy is a construction worker, constantly building beautiful cedar ones, and he'll take pictures of them, send them to me. Like, check out this deck, and it's it's cool. It's really cool, you know. I would kill for that. I just get pictures of penises, but oh, yikes! <laughs> That'd be weird. I would love for somebody to just send a picture of their wooden structure outside of their house and not their wood structure hey i got it inside of their house i I know we got a lot to cover here but i have a question for you in the event that you were to get a picture of someone's boobs sent to you what would like what would you do like tell like how do you roll with that what's your process well first and foremost Mm. right off the bat i would show my wife 100 percent. i was gonna say it if you weren't The second I saw nipples, I would go. I would run like a child yes. that just found a pornographic mag. Actually, a child wouldn't do that. Like a child that just found drug paraphernalia. Yes, I would run to my wife. I would you, be like, "Look, look, look at what this! Now it's off my chest." Yes, is this chest? The reason you do that is you would think it's to show her what you just received, but in reality. What we're doing by by running at full speed to your to our wives to show is we're show, we're proving the timestamp. <laughs> That's what yes. it is. Regardless of the boobs in the picture, it's to say I got this twelve seconds ago, and now I'm standing in front of you, sweating. Look at the timestamp. I'm being completely, you know, yeah, and it's. Immediately to absolve you of any guilt. Yes, like exactly. I, look, if you see this later, you already seen it. You can't. We can't fight about this later. Yep. Okay. You already seen it. Question two. Here's the messages prior. The the messages literally went. Hey, I love the show. I said hello. There's tits. There's yes. There's pubes. So there was no leading on. Nope. And then question number two. Before before your phone leaves your wife's eyesight, what do you do? Can you delete messages? I don't even know if can you can't. You, you if can, you can delete them, then I would delete them. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you can. In most, like Facebook Messenger, you can you can remove for yourself. In uh, text messaging, same deal. But yes, yeah, that is, you're you're hitting. You're batting a thousand here, sir. That is correct. Before you, the phone leaves your wife's eyesight. You you make sure she follows your thumb as you go through the motions to delete. The from memory, <laughs> the pictures. So. And you know, you know that GIF, GIF, GIF. I say GIF. 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 You know that GIF of Forrest Gump running out of the front of his house, yes, down the sidewalk and then down the street. <laughs> that's that's the run. If my wife was out in the yard working and I got that got that message, that's what I. That's how I would drop. If I had a tea, it would shatter in on the ground in the in the living room. And I would just, just full sprint <laughs> right yeah. to my wife. Yeah. If I was holding a little baby, it would have a crushed head because I would just drop it on the cement. And run. And just go find my wife. Exactly. I'll tell you this. Jack got a questionable photo one time. And he did exactly what we're talking about. But 
to me to make sure that I knew that he got that. I think his wife was maybe at work and that would have been weird. You know, hey, honey. <laughs> so he was, I was his recipient and I was like, whoa, what happened? And he's like, I just got that. I just had to tell somebody. <laughs> you know, early on, probably like episode five or six, uh, I got a message from a young lady and I could tell that she was trying to uh, it was a private message. I could tell that she was trying to pull me into dark waters. Yes. Right? Yep. Like, I see what you're doing. I've had a handful of those. And and I know where this is going. In this situation, I can't swim, <laughs> lady. And I'm not going to swim. Yep. I'm staying right here on the beach. Now, you can go out there and, and get eaten by sharks if you want to, <laughs> but my feet are going to stay firmly planted in the sand. We're not going to go out into those walls. Exactly. I've had a random set of people come, you know, kind of in late night hours, probably after imbibing a little bit too much. And they're like, you should really, you should get on Snapchat. And they should just call Snapchat the the marriage ender. Yeah. Cause right. Anybody that's married and has a Snapchat is up to no good. I see, like, my little nieces and nephews. I see them with the Snapchat filters, and there's some brilliant filters. It makes me want the filters, but I'm not going to... Nope. At age 45, I know for a fact that I do not have the gas left in my tank to go through another midlife anything. And I've learned... <laughs> 45? You probably can't even get it up anymore. What's the point? You don't, And you don't look a day over 44. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, I, I diverted us. Sorry. You're fine. Uh, have you ever had a run-in with an Amish person? Yes. One. I've had one single run-in with an Amish person. It was interesting. It okay, was... Okay, well, I don't want you to tell me about oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're on a time crunch. That's I'm right. kidding. T- talk about it all. <laughs> what, what happened? Okay. I was at a, a dance. I don't dance at all, but I would go to dances to connect with people to like you know it was in my younger years so like you know 19 20 21 22 23 and i would uh, go to these dances to connect with people so like we could go you know to denny's afterward or something you know something really benign yeah, that sounds romantic yeah nothing says romance like a denny's <laughs> where everything tastes like hot water <laughs> everything in denny's tastes like that stuff that's at the bottom of a sink after you do dishes. <laughs> that's what everything in Denny's tastes like. Warm and soaked in something. Yes, just very wet and <laughs> and bland tasting. That's everything at Denny's. So I'm at this dance, and this this girl was like, "Hey, you sh- you you should have you met Josiah?" And I was like, "Hey, Josiah." And I shook his hand, and this man had... It felt like he had a sledgehammer for a, for a hand. He just... Oh, that's an immediate Amish sign. Yeah, just about crushed my hand. I was like, holy cow! Where did you get that grip? Yeah, like shaking hands with an orangutan. Yeah. He's like, well, I grew up, I, I, I grew up Amish. And I was like, oh. And then it occurred to me, I'm like, you're at a dance, and you're not on Amish terror. So what's going on? So he was um, Rumspringer. Uh, he was Rumspringer in it. Oh, uh, we're going to talk about Rumspringer a little bit today. Okay. But uh, that night we were at a Denny's and we got out of the Denny's and there was this guy out in the parking lot, very belligerent. I popped off on the guy, you know, I said something stupid and, and like a guard dog, 
Josiah just walks over to this man, and if you ever, you know the uh, the like the Looney Tunes cartoons when the big dog is sitting there, and then his hand just goes out the side, and he punches the you know punches somebody, but the the fist just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> You know, yes, and it just you know knocks him. That's what happened. He no words were were exchanged. He just walked up to this guy and just bam right in his face and knocked that guy clean out. And uh, felt like I had a you know I definitely had a bodyguard for a little while. I think he went back. I think he went back. Actually, most of them do. Yeah, it's one of those kind of cultures where the more you understand, I, I think you. You, you can see, you can see the, uh, especially in this day and age when we are so clouded by, you know, our kids are tied up in screens and social media and sucrose. <laughs> Is that a thing? And it, you know, it, it's talking about sugar. Yeah, you know that. That uh, that's glucose, isn't glucose, it? Glucose, sucralose, saccharin, all that stuff. Some days I pine for, you know, a horse-drawn buggy and a long dress to the floor. I mean, not that I'd wear the long dress, but maybe. Well, I grew up in Rockcastle County, Kentucky. Where's that? Is that and where's that compared to where you are now? Where is that? Probably it's about thirty-five minutes. Okay, from where I am now, and I don't know if that's a southern thing, but we we judge distances by time. Huh. By drive time? By drive time, yeah. So th- it's about 35 minutes. 35 minutes drive. It's also interesting that you you, you say that you grew up in a certain county, not not a city. Well, there's not a city in Rockcastle County. It's it's more like small little... Favelas? Towns. There's not a building over three stories in, in the entire county. Not one. What what town were you in in Rockcastle County? Uh, well, I didn't grow up in a town. I grew up in a... On, a, on the countryside in a place called Broadhead. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. Not, there wasn't any towns in mm. Broadhead. But, I mean, even in Mount Vernon, which is the town in Rockcastle County, they don't even have a Chick-fil-A or a Walmart or a Lowe's or a theater or a, a bathhouse. <laughs> Whoa. Or <laughs> Where do you or go for that? Where do you go for those, those goods if you're there? Mm. Probably have to go to London. Probably have to go to London, Kentucky, and that's that's thirty minutes. It's a thirty minute drive. Yeah, I'm thirty minutes from most things. Actually, where I'm at, about thirty minutes. Yeah. Well, because of my location, I've actually I was around a lot of Amish people and Mennonites, which is like diet Amish. Mm-hmm. Yep, good people. And Mennonites a little bit different. They they drive black cars. They they're a little bit more modern. Uh, but they but if you just saw them. The way they dress and everything, very much look Amish. We covered the difference. I feel like, man, you have had this conversation before as well on on TCK. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the breakdown of, you know, where the origins of each one and that kind of stuff. Well, because I grew up in, in Quail in Broadhead, the name of the place specifically was Quail. Okay. I worked at a gas station, and we always had Amish people and Mennonites coming in there at that gas station. As I got older, I got a job working construction, and I had to venture into another county. And this other county had a lot of Mennonites and Amish in it. And I had to go down this long country road every morning, like 6 o'clock in the morning. And at the time, I was probably 20 years old. I had a nice little 2001 uh, bagged S10 on 20-inch rims. It was a little show truck. Had the air ride suspension, you know, the obnoxious... 
attached where you could drop it. It would what they call lay frame. That's awesome. So you, to do bag suspension, you get rid of the leaf springs, right? Yeah, 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 and then you put bags. And it was my daily driver, and uh, I don't suggest that to anybody because it's nothing but a maintenance nightmare, <laughs> those, those trucks. But, you know, as a 20-year-old guy, 20-year-old single guy, especially in, this would have been uh, 2006, 2007, good thing to have. I'll yeah. just say that. It's good for your social interactions. It was a little show truck. It was a nice little show truck. had a 4.3-liter Vortec in it. A sound system. It was. Just, I mean, it had all been professionally done. Everything the bed had been. You know, there was no holes in the. Like a lot of times, those little trucks, they got big holes cut out of the beds, so they mm-hmm. get easy access to the to the uh, the air ride suspension and everything. Because you're always having to maintenance. This had all been custom fabricated. It was covered over, welded. Wow. Um, I was very proud of that little truck. Everything was shaved. What they call shaved on it. I, I loved this little truck. That's awesome. And on my way to work, construction every single morning. I had to pass a little wagon. It was like a little bitty wagon being pulled by a donkey full of little Amish children on their way to school. (laughs) And up, these little sons of bitches, every single morning, without fail, would just peg the shit out of my little show truck with apple cores. They waited for me. (laughs) Gosh. And I never did anything to these kids. (laughs) Never did. I never. I never said anything to them. There wasn't a. Mo- there wasn't a moment where I was driving by one morning with a window down. And I was like, "Why don't y'all get electricity? Why don't y'all get a something with an engine? You know, something like that." They hit. They they kept peppering my little truck with apple cores, and uh, because of that interaction that I had every single morning. And what do you do? What do you do in that situation when you're being harassed by little Amish children? I'm the bad guy automatically. Yeah, yeah. There's no way around that because I'm a I'm a 20 year old in a bagged S10, mm-hmm. and they're little Amish children in a wagon. Yep. How would you handle that? You know, I, on you can't do nothing. The strategy I would probably use is locate their parents because those kids are going to get clubbed by their parents if they knew. I ended up shooting them with a BB gun. There you go. That's probably another thing you could do. I'm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. No, it didn't. <laughs> sure. I didn't do anything. I just... No. I would just try to speed past them, and and every time my truck would just get... And why do they eat so many apples? Good question. Anyways, that that was... And because of that, I, I hate Amish children. Apple a day keeps society away, maybe? And why aren't there any black Amish people? That's a, that is a good question. Have you ever seen a black Amish guy or an Asian Amish guy? No, I haven't. Or a Mexican Amish guy? The answer to that is because they're ultra-regional. And so when you get down to siloing a region around your you know, faith or your interest or your culture, you have a tendency to, ver- to homogenize your race, regardless of what race it is. You know, that's, that's why you have sections of of urban cities with are Chinatown and you know this and that because saturates the area with your culture so much that I think uh, <laughs> it's not even offensive to call it Chinatown or you know whatever the white version of Chinatown that's just what it is yeah now up you may think that and obviously we're gonna be talking a lot about Amish today our antagonist in this story is Amish I started out that way 
Uh, and you may think that the Amish community is dwindling, but I, I got news for you. It's actually growing, and it has more than doubled in North America since 1989, and it continues to grow. Did you? Uh, would you have expected that? No. Well, I don't know. I don't know. The pessimist in me is like, I think there's probably a lot of people looking for, they've just given up on how noisy life is and... You know, well, that's a that that was a good, maybe a good guess, rates. but also it's really really hard to get brought into an Amish community as an Englisher. So is it birth rates? Then is that what's doubling it? Yes, they okay. reproduce like rabbits. Ah, yes, yeah. they teal fields, they uh, wear hats, and they fuck. I don't know what that's what Amish people do. Is that what they call it? I think they call it rum. Well, before we go into the into the episode, let's pander a little bit. Okay. You want to do some pandering? Yeah, we better. Now, being being gay is A-OK at TCK. That's what we say. <laughs> did you just, did we hire a PR guy? Hit, what happened? Did that happen? Did you write that? That's, that's some prose, bro. Listen, now you may have thought that the Corpsewood Manor episode was the gayest episode we could have ever possibly released, and so did I. But uh, I'm going to give you a warning. It turns out I and you was wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. That is crap. Because <laughs> this guy that we're going to talk about today is a real, he's a real character. He's something else. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited to get into it. Are you? I, well, you said, hey, pull up this script and let's go. So I don't know what to expect. And now. Oh, boy. Now you said that. I, I just feel the hymns coming on. <laughs> In a really big way. The character we're talking about today, Op, is a man by the name of Eli Stutzman. And he was our first Amish serial killer. Wow. And he was pretty good at it. Is there a difference between the first Amish serial killer and, to date, the only Amish serial killer, maybe? Now, there are a couple of stories, other stories, where Amish people have murdered but I do believe that Eli Stutzman is the only one that murdered a lot. He did a lot of murders. He did many murders. Mm. Too many. Okay. I'd say too many. Okay. Well, I'm I'm peaked. Is that a good word to use here? I'm peaked? My interest is... Nope. nope. But Eli was born in Apple Creek, Ohio, on September 28th, 1950, to Harvey and Susan Stutzman, an Amish family. And his father was also known as Oh, one-handed Eli. And they called him that because he had had his hand crushed in a sorghum press, in an antique sorghum press, when he was 18 years old. It's a st- tale as old as time. I guess so. Uh, which resulted in him losing some fingers and having to wear a hook. That's a sorghum press. Isn't that like sugar? Yeah, it's a, it's a different... I, I actually had to look that up. It's a, it's a different... It's not sugar, but it's it might as well be. It's a sweetener. It's a sweetener it's used to make, and they use sorghum presses to make syrup for, like, pancakes and waffles. Okay, yeah, because I think I've seen sorghum and, and, like, ice cream, sorghum and carrageenan, you know, the like. Yes. What did they call him again? One, one-handed what? They called him old one-handed Eli. How creative. The Amish are very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? On the nose? <laughs> yeah, on the nose. There you go. That's a good one. Yep. And uh, actually, I don't go into it much on the story, but the reason they called him, he he was literally called One-Handed Eli, is because so many in the Amish community are named Eli that they have to, like, differentiate which one is which. (laughs) Yes. There's, like, Like every other guy is named Eli. One-Eye Eli, 
one-legged Eli, normal Eli, big little Eli. Yeah. Because, like I said, Harvey was actually his middle name. It was Eli Harvey. Oh. Stutzman. That sounds like a killer. But, a serial uh, killer. I, the reason I'm referring to him as Harvey is because his son, also named Eli. Huh. And Eli Stutzman is the son, not one-handed Eli, who is the father. If you lived, if you lived on a Amish farm property commune, and you, they had to give you a descriptive name like that, what would your name be? Do you think? Oh, probably old Big Titted Kent. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm top heavy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I was going to say sweary Kent, but sweary. Yeah, old sweaty tits Kent. Or did you say sweary? Sweary. Old sweary Kent. But but you said sweaty tits, (laughs) which I thought was kind of rude. So Eli Stutzman's dad, also named Eli, one-handed Eli. His dad's running around with a hook for a hand. Uh, He was the fourth of 13 children, Eli Stutzman was. And his mother... Uh, him being the fourth of 13 children, he was apparently born to a gerbil. What? Because <laughs> that's a lot of fucking kids. Oh, I see. A whole lot of children. Fourth like- of 13 children. Now, his mother was also said to have been slumped over from all the fucking Ugh. and the constant childbirth. And that's one trait that the Amish are very descriptive. They just said she was just always very slumped over. Did she have a simple descriptive name given to her? <laughs> Probably just old Slump Susan. She was a devoted wife. She was an Amish lady. She yeah. only seen one penis her whole life, and that was old hook-handed Harvey's. And she was devoted to him, but she was very slumped over. Well, She was wow. a good woman. Good woman. She was a damn good woman. So Eli's being raised by hook-handed Harvey and Slump Susan. And his family's running around doing Amish things, and one of them's got a hook hand. And this is already a horror story. This is like the the beginning to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the backstory almost. It's like the hills have hives. <laughs> now his now Eli Stutzman's father, you know, old hook handed he Eli, old hook handed Harvey. His father was the bishop of their order and an amist and a minister of his church district. Now, there are many different sects of Amish. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. There's a whole bunch. There's like the, the Bloods and the Crips and the, and all kinds of different sects of Amish. But the one that Eli belonged to, Eli Stutzman, they were called the Schwarzentruber sect. And uh, the difference in the sects, uh, and there wasn't a Bloods or, or a Crips sect, but the Schwarzentruber sect uh, is considered very, 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 very like conservative. And we're talking conservative in an Amish community, right? Wow. Whereas we consider, like, politics on the left and right spectrum, the Amish consider the different sects on a high and low spectrum, so it's up and down. And those sects that have taken more modern luxuries into their everyday life, like, you know, electricity or a phone or vibrators, are considered high up on the on the totem pole whereas those that are old school the ones that don't have indoor plumbing they don't have electricity they use a horse and carriage for everywhere those are low uh. so take left and right out of your mind and, and replace it with up or high and low the swartian trooper sect is low so on in Amish territory there there there's there's a whole gradation of technology yes. usage yes. even you would think Oh, interesting. 
Yes. You may okay. go to one Amish uh, community that is a, of a separate sect that could be high. They would call them high Amish. And those those Amish might have a phone hmm. in their house. They might have electricity. They def- None of them will have a TV or a radio or any of that. Hmm. But they may have basic lighting, you know. Um, they may have the, – none of them will drive a vehicle. None of the Amish will. But they may uh, approve of it uh, if it means going somewhere long distance, hmm. like getting a ride with somebody else. Uh-huh. And then you have the Schwarzentruppers, which is the sect that, that Eli belonged to, which was low, low Amish. And they were like no, 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 super conservative even in a Amish community. Wow. And now the Schwarzentrupper sect is known for that. They're, they're known for being low Amish. Okay. Very conservative. Okay. No phones. Now, all of the Amish communities are, are ruled by the Ordnung, and the Ordnung is like the set of rules set, set forth by the church's district bishop and its leaders, and the Ordnung is different which, within each Amish sect, and it just says, hey, you all can't use buttons because they're too fancy pants. <laughs> you, and that's why uh, Amishes use uh, clasps like the hooks. It's like a little... You know, uh, uh, fabric hook that goes around a a button, but they don't use like the buttons, like the snap buttons. Right. Those are very sinful. We that, go fucking straight to hell. That's like highfalutin. Yeah. You might as well button up them pants with your fancy buttons, boy, because you're going to need them while you're burning in hell <laughs> with your fancy pants. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I mean, the Ordnung is very, very strict. It even it even sets forth the rules on how long the brim of your Amish hat can be. Really, uh, you know, and and a sect like the Schwarzentruppers, they've got a three inch rule, three inch brim, because the bigger the brim, you're getting flashy, right? You're getting flossy. Mm. You're you're trying to show off. Whereas higher sects, high Amish sects, they're like, why don't you all treat yourself? Get a five inch brim. Wow. Well, yeah, and a brim is really a utility, right? So it's interesting that the bigger the brim, the so the bigger the brim, the higher higher class. It's yeah, that's usually the high the high Amish, the ones because it starts getting flashy, right? Yeah. If, if, why why did your brim need to be that big? Who are you trying to show off in front of? You know, Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah. Why are you trying to obfuscate so much rainwater? Let some fall on your back and neck and chest parts. Yeah. Get wet. Don't be so flossy. Yeah. That's the Lord's water. Let it touch your chest. Now, church is held every other Sunday in the homes of the congregation members and is an all-day affair starting at 9 a.m. The sermons are usually dry. And this isn't my words. This is what I... This is... They're, they're admittedly dry and spoken in high German. Now, the Amish speak uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, mm. which is a mixture of Dutch and German. Mm. And the only time that they'll speak English, really, is when they're talking to Englishers, which is you and me and all of our listeners. Interesting. And uh, have you ever listened to... Uh, I watched a lot of videos while researching this case uh, on Pennsylvania Dutch. It's really fascinating. Um, listen to people speak of Pennsylvania Dutch, Amish people, because you can pick up. It's like a mixed. It's like 33% German... No, it's it's like fifty percent German, forty five percent Dutch, five percent English. So there is uh, like every maybe fifteen twenty words, there is just a random English word. It's really strange, and I can imagine extremely hard to learn because of uh, the likelihood that the language is not doesn't cover all of today's 
things, you know, like inventions and whatnot, you think? Oh, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a very good point. And I would say that you're probably right because this is a very old, old language. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And like I said, you know, they only speak English, like actual English, uh, when they're speaking with people like you and me at Dollar General or O'Reilly's Auto Parts. Yep. And the only piece, the only only the high Amish would be at an O'Reilly's, right? Why would you be? Why would you need auto parts? Where would they? And I hadn't even thought about that before I said that. Yeah, they wouldn't have in. They wouldn't. They, they'd be at the, the the if they were true to their their lower sects, they would be at local. Gun, local metal smith, probably. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, sure. The, the Hermans are dry, like I said, they're dry, the, and and probably impossible not to fall asleep to. And you thought, uh, I bet you thought Sunday school was a drag. I know I did. This sounds terrible. Yeah. This lasts all day. Like you better clear your. You wanting to see the Fast and the Furious forty four on Sunday? Forget about it. You're going to be going to church all day. It's an all day event. I have a Pennsylvania Dutch joke for you, actually. It's the only one I know. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm so excited. Let's hear it. So, John Borger's barn catches fire, you see. He calls the fire department and says, Say, nah, is this the fire department? This is John Borger up to Burger Hollow Road. My barn's on fire, yeah. To which the dispatcher responds, Certainly, Mrs. Bor- Mr. Borger, how do we get there? And John says, don't you have that little red truck no more? Can't <laughs> oh, they slay me? Eli was said to have been a bright child with a love for horses and a hatred of farm work. And this is a bad place to be um, with this combination of yeah. personality traits. Right? You're going to be doing a lot of all this stuff, and the horses that they do have aren't pets. These is, this is farm equipment. Right. Yeah, so interesting that he would like the horses but hate the work the horses have to do. Yeah, well, he also loved to be the center of attention no matter where he went, and one of his cousins would later refer, would later say about him that he thought he was better than the rest of us. And uh, if there's one thing the Amish believe in, it's that you should always be the center of attention everywhere you go, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's probably their biggest belief is that you should not draw attention to yourself. That's the whole reason for the brim of the hat. Like, you are nothing you're dirt if you're amish you should never be flashy you know you should be quiet and especially in amish communities children should be seen and not heard which is so interesting too because i don't know about you but i could pick them out of a crowd i really can't you know it's not hard yeah well it's usually the dress code though right they're not like singing us us baby or anything or break dancing it's because they just look different yeah but it's but we can all agree that it's never something they're not they're never wearing something that Floyd Mayweather Jr. Yeah. <laughs> would pick out. So already Eli's off to a bad start. You know, he, he hates farm work, he loves being the center of attention, he likes to be flashy, and those are all things that uh, aren't gonna go aren't gonna jive in an Amish community. Eli was also far from humble, uh, and he was a, a terrible Amish child, not obedient, very uh, I would say manipulative and disruptive. And by six years old, he was labeled a habitual liar. Oh. So he's not good at following the rules. He's a liar. He's loud. He, he breaks the rules. He hates work. Not going good. Not so far. Not going good. Yeah. Now, he finishes school 
Eli Stutzman finishes school in the eighth grade, and that's it for the Amish. That's that's where it ends. Eighth grade. I think it's the same rules here in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, teen mothers. <laughs> At 16 years old, Eli starts Ramschfringa. Uh, and that usually lasts around two years, and it allows the Amish youth to go out and get a bit of wild, get get a bit wild for a bit. It lets them experience the English world. You know, everybody knows what Rumspringer is, and uh, if you don't, it's just a period in time where it's allowed. At sixteen years old, they say, "Hey, Amish Jedediah, <laughs> go out and do some heroin. <laughs> go out and snort a rail off a hooker's asshole. Live English for a little bit. Drive a drive a a Mustang." And shoot an M16 in the air out of the convertible and, you know, do some terrorist acts. Whatever. Just be English for a little bit. And if you decide that you want to stay, you stay. You know, we'll never talk to you again. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at the end of this two years, you come back, you say, yeah, I want to do Amish things. I don't want to do any more heroin. And I want to be Amish for the rest of my life. And that's what Rumspringa is. Yeah. It's a very good summation of the of the passage that, that they all go through. Now, I know I said all that, but Rumspringer for most Amish uh, youth isn't nearly that wild. They have a few beers. Um, they, they might drive their, their horse buggies fast. They might drink a Coke and eat, a, eat, eat at McDonald's, you know, all that kind of stuff. They may, the, the girls may, use, may wear a, a normal bathing suit one time in a swimming hole away from all the other boys. It's pretty tame. It, it's all usually, for the most part, it's pretty tame. Now, Eli Stutzman and the other Rumschringer hooligans often attended a, a location as a little a little booze joint in Wayne County uh, called the Dog House, and this is where a lot of the Rumspringa teens often patronized. It's it was like where the the Rumspringa teens went to drink, called the Dog House, and that sounds like fun. Interesting, that does. You wonder how like disagreements went. Like, were there fist fights? You know. That kind of over stuff. whose horse was faster and yeah, who just, yielded the best crop. I, I I understand that you know you can strip society out of an individual or a people, but like what about just normal human stuff? Like I wonder wonder if there were a lot of people just duking it out. You know how did they resolve issues and stuff? I wonder. There was a lot of fights. Okay. Yes, they they the the Amish can get pretty rowdy, despite what uh, Hollywood. Would like that they can party, mm. they can get rowdy. Now, I wish that I was kidding with this next bit, but Eli also joins uh, a Rumspringa Amish gang, and they called themselves the Wild Westerns. Wow! And they were a group of rowdy, rule-breaking Amish boys, and they were on the fringes of Amish society. <laughs> they were a rough, tumbling group. And they did horrible things like souping up their horse buggies with decals and bumper stickers. <laughs> and they would even hide radios in there and play the devil's music, country music. What? One time, Eli even stole a bicycle. And this is all true, by the way. He's fucking out of control. <laughs> out of control. He's losing his mind. He's got, you know, bumper stickers on his on his buggy. It's probably like a... A picture of a guy in a, in a five-inch brimmed Amish hat pissing on the logo of a of a <laughs> thoroughbred because they didn't like thoroughbreds. Like, this buggy's a 
this buggies are rocking, don't come a knocking, <laughs> stuff like that. They were really crazy. Uh, they were really crazy. I didn't make any of that up. That's amazing. That, that is all. That's what they. That's how. That's how they. Wow. That's how this this gang was. That was their. That was them living on the fringes. Was decals on their buggies and and a radio with country music. That's so punk rock of them. Like you know, they're the Sex Pistols of the Amish community. <laughs> the, the Sex BB guns. <laughs> the Amish women just clutching their pearls. <laughs> they don't have pearls. Those are worldly. Yeah. Never mind. They just have rocks. Clutching their corn stalks. Stones. Now, the little Amish girls, they loved Eli. He was fit and slim, and at 16 years old, he was around five foot six and weighed 140 pounds. He was described as compact and solid. You can look at pictures of Eli Stutzman, and although he's older in the pictures, uh, he is like a very, a very fit. Looks has a very CrossFit kind of build, mm, okay. which is actually common with Amish guys. A lot of CrossFit type of work. Yes, from morning to literally not. Yep. And the way that you know Eli filled out that plain white shirt, that black overcoat, that black rimmed hat, and those black pants, it really just drove the ladies crazy. So many of them it were really like, got their bushes moist. <laughs> so many of them are like, I can't wait to. I'd let him. I'd birth fourteen children with him, kind of thing. Love to have nineteen little Schwarzenbergers. Yeah, with that, with that medium drink of water you know what's interesting uh, just a quick aside is how i i just realized this how easy it is to like kind of poke poke fun talk humorous about a people that isn't currently socially oppressed <laughs> or you know like it's also easy to talk talk a lot of shit about a group of people that are never going to hear this <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. I, I just realized that. I'm like, in my head, I just flashed to, like, replace everything that that we just said about Amish with, like, another religious name. And, man, this <laughs> one stars all day long. This is problematic. <laughs> it's how f- Don't worry. We're getting ready to get problematic because okay. Eli is closetedly gay. Okay, good. How, fi- and, uh, how fickle we are as people. Mm. Okay. Buckling in. If you're worried about we're not being problematic enough, op, just hold on to your britches. <laughs> Button them up with your fancy fucking buttons, your fancy <laughs> English buttons. Uh, he started dating a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 16-year-old Amish girl named Ida Gingrich, whom he had met uh, at a singing. Now, a singing is a supervised youth party for Amish youngsters where they get together and they get wild and sing church hymns and have food, Amish food. Sounds really crazy. A lot of, lot of Lord worshiping and bagels. Sounds awesome. I don't know if the Amish eat bagels. Probably like shepherd's pie. Sounds so cool. Like, I don't want to say that I went to one of those like maybe last Wednesday, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty sweet. Thought that was called a cotillion. <laughs> I've moved on. So she was a beautiful young lady. Ida was. She had long blonde hair that stayed in a bun under her bonnet. Nobody knew this until later because in the Amish community, only the husband was supposed to see their hair in all its glory. Supposed to be hidden uh, for the husband's eyes only, and Ida really wanted Eli to see her hair. Mm. She she liked him. Now, another common dating tactic with the Amish is called bundling. 
And uh, this is what happens. And this is also true. Okay? Um, and this is going to sound really weird, but with, as conservative as they are, they do uh, approve of bundling during the courting phase, the dating phase. And what bundling is, is when a couple is dating, the boy Amish can spend the night and sleep in the same bed with the female Amish. And But it's not like, there's not like fingering each other, hand on all that stuff. They're not doing that. I don't know. What, what they, they do is they get swaddled like infants, like giant infants. They swaddle them, the parents do, in giant comforters and separate blankets. And then they put a divider board between them. So you really, I don't know, there's like a, a big piece of oak between you and your swaddled girlfriend, and you just get to share the bed, but not really. Sounds like a lot of sweat and splendors. Yeah, because, uh, well, you brought up sweat. They are swaddled, but they're also not allowed to take their clothes off. So they sleep in the same attire that they would, like, wear to church. Uh, because So they're not allowed to get into their nightgowns. You know, the Amish women, they wear these sexy nightgowns that come down to their ankles and cover up everything and have floral patterns on them it's all relative though i guess right i mean that's that's considered you know letting giving you know letting the leash out for the kids you know what i said they had floral patterns on them that's probably not true the high the high the high living people probably floral patterns the rest of them pretty plain baby blue baby blue denim denim Denim. nightgowns yeah Denim nightgowns that are that start at the start at the ankle and end at the wrist. Yep. Welded shut. Now in the fall of nineteen seventy one. Did you say it's around this time? Do what? Did you say nineteen seventy one? I did. I did. I did. Why? Interesting. Did you know? Well, okay. First, hey, do you want me to tell you some a fun fact about nineteen seventy one? Oh, yeah, please. Okay, 1971, the 1971 Kennedy half dollar was supposed to be the first half dollar where they got rid of silver altogether. There was no silver supposed to be in mm-hmm. it whatsoever. But interestingly, so interesting, did you know that the, you know, like if you ever look at the side of a, a coin, how it has different colors, like it's like it's sandwiched together with different metals. Well, the top the top metal that they make the imprint into, like the design, is called a planchet, and they're just these blank circles, right? Little thin, 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 uh, really thin metal sheets, and so there weren't supposed to be any silver ones in the 1971 half dollar, um, but apparently some silver planchets got into the bins when they were striking the 1971 half dollars and so there was a certain amount a very small amount of these 40% silver planchets that got pressed as 1971 half dollars if you come across mm-hmm. a 1971 half dollar that is 40% silver yeah you can sell it for $6000 wow I know. that's a lot of money i know blows my mind every time i tell that story how many all how many times have you told that story? Fortnightly at least. I'd say. So in the fall of nineteen seventy one, around this time, Eli becomes a teacher at the one room Maple Grove School despite only having the standard eighth grade education. Now, uh, Amish school is a lot different than 
than English school. You know, they don't they don't do they don't have grab ass or recess or it's probably pretty boring and they learn basic math, no history, and a lot of it is Bible oriented. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of the Amish education is focused more towards um, learning a trade than, yeah. than anything, and that's not so bad. No, I wish I, there was more of that in in uh, in our school system. We've lost it completely. I mean, trade trades are not. Uh, you know, they went from center center stage to optional to non-existent almost. Yeah, now all the kids are just pushed to take on crippling debt by joining a getting a four-year degree that they're never going to use and then spend the rest of their life paying it off while working at Denny's. Now, Eli and his father eventually, they never got along. Old hook-handed Harvey. Eli and hook-handed Harvey, they never got along. But eventually, during 1971, they get into another altercation this same year, and it's a big one. And we don't know what that altercation was, but it was a it was a game changer because they agree that that Eli should leave the Amish community. At this now, at 21 years old, Eli packs up and leaves his family behind by moving across the road to an old another old school Amish family that was a little less conservative than the Stutes. When he when he moved across the road, was his dad? Did his dad see it coming, or do you think his dad was um, was he stumped? <laughs> Because of his hand, he's made the stump. Yeah, he's lost his hand in the sorghum press. Stump, stumps. People call him you know, stumpy. Oh man! Good joke. Up the family was that family that Eli stayed at. Even though they were just across the road, they were another Amish family. They took him in, and that family, the, like I said, they were a little less conservative, a little more hip to new ways. That family was spearheaded by an old couple by the names of Mose and Ada Kime. Now they take un- they take Eli under their wing, and at this time Eli and Ida are still dating. So, for a while everything seems okay. It seems to- he seems to be getting better, but then Harvey, Eli's father, hook-handed Harvey, starts harassing Eli to come home. And this is when Eli's mental health starts deteriorating. He cuts his hair a little bit too short. This is when he starts kind of losing his way with the Amish community. He cuts his hair a little short. He's got a flashy haircut. He puts a more modern dashboard in his horse buggy. Whoa. But the tipping point, however, yeah, wait till you hear the tipping point. <laughs> the tipping point for Harvey Stutzman, Eli's dad, was when he seen, you ready for this op? Yeah. Eli had put a button on his horse saddle that had a picture of a horse on it. What? How, how flamboyant. Well, it's at this point. He sees this button. He's like, that's it. That is it. I have had it with this piece of shit. <laughs> he contacts that this isn't true. This is true. He contacts the police department and has Eli committed to an insane asylum. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. That's a... Also impressive, mostly that they could actually make that stick. Like, that's a true sign of being crazy. (laughs) Another thing you're going to notice throughout this story is what the Amish kind of get away with. They're given a lot of leadway. Nobody really asks them questions. Like, if you're Amish, you can really get away with anything because they just let them... It's the Wild West. Like, they, they make the rules. They don't pay taxes. They... 
They really have like their own. It's almost like another country. I was going to say it, it reminds me of Native American or First Nation reservations where like if a crime happens on the reservation or res as they might call it, the crime is man is handled by the reservation police, not by like, you know, good luck getting that into a federal court system. Yeah, I could see how they're just very much their own island. Makes me think, do you know what Harvey Stutzman's probably most popular Halloween costume was when he when he got dressed up for Halloween? They don't celebrate Halloween. But if he did, but if he did, he it would, would probably just be dirt. Nope. He always goes as, <laughs> he dresses up as a Star Wars character. He he dress up as hand solo. <laughs> that was so bad. Awesome. You get it cuz it was back to the hand thing, hand solo, like one. Now I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. Now Eli's I would like to have been a fly on the wall whenever the cop shows up. Like wait, what are we taking him for and and Harvey's like frantic like look at this button. He's pointing to it. Look for at him. it. Yeah, yeah. How can you say he's not crazy? Look at the button. <laughs> and I don't know why I immediately went to like an SS Nazi. Yeah. Like accent. <laughs> we will not tolerate this. Like, <laughs> it'd be close to SS Nazi. You got to add more bounce if you're getting the Dutch in there. You know, it, so it's like a Nazi on a really bumpy road. Or a Nazi riding in a rumble seat. Oh. Which is a callback. Mm-hmm. To the, to the to the Michael Malloy. Yes. Episode. So Eli Stutzman spends the next three days in an insane asylum for the button on That's the horse. Amazing! Wow. After three days, he is released and he comes back to Mose and Atacom's farm, extremely agitated, which is understandable. <laughs> yeah. Now, by now, Mose and Atacom are also hesitant to let Eli stay with them any longer. Because he is showing signs of being mentally ill. Uh, Eli eventually leaves their farm. He then breaks up with Ida, his longtime girlfriend of many years at this point, and begins looking for somewhere else to live. And on August 23rd, 1972, a New Order Amish couple, so they're high Amish, by the names of Liz and Leroy Chupp, invite... Eli to stay with them at their farm which is Stoll's farm and it was in Marshallville so they took Eli in they give him room and board and, and all he has to pay them in exchange is chores so you know shoe the horses milk the chickens shoot the horses know. what why would you do that put horseshoes on oh, the you gotta put shoe the ho- I thought you say shoot the horses <laughs> like that sounds like a yeah overstep now you gotta do that too yeah, because they don't like, uh, you know, the Amish. If if a horse gets a bad leg, it ain't like, oh, we'll take you back to the farm. You'll just be our pet now. It's like, I, <laughs> Isaac, it's time to put that one down, and then they just turn it into glue, put her down. Yeah, okay. Now this was a sizable dairy operation in northeastern Wayne County, and it's where Eli would gain the skills that he'll use later for his own dairy operation. So he's working on a dairy farm in exchange for room and board. Now the Chups, like I said, were considered high Amish, New Order Amish. They sometimes used tractors in fields, which is very sinful to low order Amish. Mm. They had indoor plumbing, they had phones, they had electricity. 
They still use the horse and buggy, though. So that's the difference. You know, as Amish as as high as they were, they still used a horse and buggy. Uh, the difference was the New Order Amish's buggies they had spinners <laughs> with horses on them. Remember that? Remember that song? I'm riding spinners. I'm riding spinners. They don't stop riding spinners. I'm riding spinners. <laughs> How's the rest of that song go? I don't remember. That's 2001. <laughs> And when That's the spinner awesome. stopped in the center on the hubcap was a picture of Jesus. <laughs> and he stayed still. He stayed still the whole time yeah. the wheels spin. <laughs> now, Eli was pretty stoked to be living here at the Chup Farm. The couple let him order underwear out of a pennies catalog that had elastic bands. Now, elastic bands to low Amish are very sinful. How do you keep your underwear up? I don't know. Maybe you just... Ropes? I don't, I don't know, but I know that I read that in, in much of the Amish communities, elastic bands are very sinful. They're frowned upon. Wow. A one-way ticket to fucking hell. <laughs> it is pretty advanced technology. You, know, you think about the weave that goes into that. We are now up to September 10th, 1972. This is the day that Eli buys a 1970 Oldsmobile. And although the Chups were Amish, they seem to be cool with it. It's like, hey, you know, he's young. You know, he's, he's 22 years old at the time. Almost a new you know, car. He's, he's doing whatever doing whatever makes him happy. Now, it's also around this time that he becomes friends with a young man by the name of John Yoder. And that's a very common, common Amish last name, Yoder. Yes. That's like if, if you see SNL or Saturday Night Live, or which is the same thing, or Mad TV, or anything to a skit about the Amish, the last name's going to be Yoder. Mm-hmm. But John Yoder had also left the Schwarzenegger Amish, and one night while hanging out with John, Eli started bragging about how his ex-girlfriend Ida, well, she let him do butt stuff with her. What? Yeah. So you see, John or Eli's just doing butt stuff with Ida, and they're Amish, so they don't shower. I don't even know what that's like. They bathe probably once a week, and they don't shave or anything. So, but John was horrified. Absolutely horrified. He was probably like, because Eli kind of kind of dropped this on him out of nowhere. He's pro- John was probably like, I got to be honest, Eli. I, I don't know how we got here in this conversation. I asked you about your opinion on revelations. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and, and Eli was like, yeah, revelations, which is the end. And speaking of ends. <laughs> what about rear ends? You like rear ends, John? I was all up in that shit. So December 1973, Eli shows up at poor John Yoder's 23rd birthday party. And John Yoder, like I said, the poor fellow that got TMI, information he didn't ask for. It's his 23rd birthday party. Now, John Yoder, although no longer Schwarzenegger Amish, is still Amish. Right? Mm-hmm. But Eli shows up at John Yoder's 23rd birthday party wearing a brown plaid jacket, jeans, and zippered boots, which is not Amish apparel. And he's holding a birthday present. What do you think's inside this birthday present for this young Amish man, Op? Boy, gosh! You know what? He's probably gonna—he's trying to blow the roof off that party. There's probably a button with a horse. No, a button with two horses on it would be you. <laughs> that would have blown their hair back. Would have. But what he got was even worse. Yoder unwraps the package in front of all the other young Amish men. 
And inside the box is a pair of men's red bikini underwear. Oh. Now, the book goes into detail about how graphic the photo on the box was. It had been bought at a porn shop. So everybody was horrified again. Uh, but Eli thought it was really funny. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be able to read a room very well. Yeah. <laughs> or he can't read John very well. I guess he keeps throwing John some serious curveballs. February 1974, Eli trades his Oldsmobile for a 1974 Grand Torino. In October cool. tw- and on October 20th, 1974, he moves out of the progressive Amish household that he was living in into an even more wild Amish household owned by Walter and Mary Jones Stoles. He claimed he moved there because he wanted to watch TV and listen to the radio. So he's, as you can see, hopping like a flea to the most English, you know, Amish household that he can find. Now he's, now he's that one that has a TV and a radio. Here's what's interesting, I think, about that is if you were to go to the outer skirts, the, the complete outskirts, the, the highest, wildest Amish, I got to tell you, I, even being a pretty conservative religious character myself, I'm pretty sure I'd still feel like it was very, very sanitized, <laughs> very basic, you know? What? What, what, like their like their household. Like if I went to the outskirts of like Wild Town Amish, you know, and they're like, "Oh, you oh, want to see?" Did you not hear the gang activity that was going on? <laughs> you want to see crazy <laughs> bumper stickers? <laughs> you want to see crazy op? Go to that house over there. You'll blow your mind. You'll go. You you'll go to hell just for walking in. You walk in and it feels like you're in like a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> now there is a uh, there is a brief period here where I'm going to skip. Now the book. Uh, one of the books that I read, it was a very beefy one, uh, very well written. I'll, I'll, I'll cite it at the end of the episode. I'll give the name of the book, the author, and everything. But there was a lot, a good chunk of this book on on this next portion that I'm going to cover in about five seconds. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not that important for what happens later in life, but uh, it, it is worth noting at least and. It should be a footnote in this podcast. In November 19th, 1974, uh, Eli has has been dabbling in drugs. Nothing serious, just a little weed for a while. And after a long, exhausting, like I said, after a long, exhausting and boring, drawn-out story, uh, he he threw a, a long series of events, ends up selling a bag of weed to some guys for the police department. Um, they were just looking for a, I don't know what you would call that, a rat. To, to sell some weed so they could bust somebody. And the guys that he sold the weed to ends up finding out about it. Not long after that, Ed Stoll, wh- whom he was staying at the house of, finds Eli in the barn laying in a puddle of his blood. Eli claims he had been jumped and stabbed by the guys they had tried to kill him. Now, he spends five days in the Dunlap Memorial Hospital recovering from his wounds, and it is eventually discovered that all of this is a lie. And Eli had stabbed himself for the attention. So the the part where uh, the drugs and everything that was true, but the part where they jumped him and stabbed him that was a lie. He had just done that for attention. Weird. That's a odd flex. Yes, yes. So that lets you into the kind of headspace that that we're going into here, right? Well, and 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 I got to be honest. I mean, I know I know it was the seventies, but even in the seventies, a five day stay for a stabbing—that's some significant wounds. I would say. Yes, you know. He almost bled to death. Wow. 
kind of yes. That's the ultimate attention getter. Like you got to know he's fading fast. He's like, oh boy, I might have gone too far this time. You know, he's not going to make it. I'm getting kind of woozy here. <laughs> I always think of Matthew Lillard and Scream. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. So uh, I didn't think you would. You're basically Amish yourself. In January 1975. Mary Jane Stoll is placing some of Eli's mail that he had received in his work that he had received. So she's got his mail and she always puts it in his work desk in his room. But when she opens the work desk, she discovers a bunch of big old rubber dicks. Really? Dildos up. Black gold? Texas tea? Now like us, these are these people are Amish. Wow. They're still Amish. Like they might be super chill Amish, but they're still Amish. And she's not you. She probably picked it up and she shook it. And she was like, what is this big rubber dick for? She's like shaking it in front of the window. And then she placed it back. Now, she did tell her son, Ed, Ed Stoll. She didn't actually know what it was. He had to explain to his mother what those big rubber dicks were, that they were sex toys. It's a bunch of rubber dicks and a desk. And then then Ed probably got in trouble because he explained it to her. And she's like, Ed, how do you know this? Ed. Well, that's a guy he thought about. Twelve that. months of detention yeah. for you, son. Just figuring. That's what I figure. What else would you do with? Just he's scratching his butt. Dots, mom. Now Mary Jane found that odd. The Mary Jane stole. She found that odd. What would a straight Amish man like Eli Stutzman need with giant vibrating rubber dicks? He didn't have a vagina op. And besides, even if he did, placing a giant vibrating rubber dick in his vagina would have been frowned upon by Jesus anyway. It was all so odd. So odd. She couldn't figure out. Yeah. (laughs) She couldn't figure out what what he would need these giant vibrating rubber dicks for. She probably just stopped thinking about it right then. Probably didn't pursue the the thought anymore. I I would. That's probably what she did. Okay, we'll move yeah. on if you really want yeah. to. Because in early February 1975, she discovers some gay porno magazines oh, wow. under Eli, Eli's mattress while cleaning his room. So it was, the corner was sticking out a little bit of the, and it was a gay porno oh. magazine, and it probably had a head of a dick yeah. on the top. That she just saw a little head of it, and confused at first because this is a very innocent woman. She opens the magazine, and inside she discovers men just putting their actual, their real penises, not rubber ones, in each other's behinds. Everywhere everywhere else, to be honest, I don't think that really... And the difference in gay pornography and straight pornography op is Mm. that it's a man putting his penis in another man in his his face and on his nose and he rubs it on his forehead and his mouth and his ears. (laughs) And sometimes they just smack their dicks together. Or it could be like a lesbian pornographic magazine possible where they rub their women rub their doesn't happen their clitorises together and their buttholes i don't think so and they sometimes choke each other i guess shove like gourds and other objects inside themselves Um, probably whereas like straight porn is just a man and a woman Did I did I tell you about 50, the fifty? I told you about the fifty. Dang, I told you about the fifty cent piece already, right? Mary Jane quickly put two and two together and realized something up that you shouldn't put two and two together. Eli Stutzman was using those gigantic rubber dicks 
and he was pleasuring himself with them. He was maybe, I don't know, placing them into his buttocks. I don't think so. You know, Lord willing. I don't think she This behavior she wouldn't. blew her mind. Yeah. He was putting these big rubber black dicks right up his anus. Ah, it's just... That's what he was doing with them. Uh, uh, is that my phone uh, ringing? Yeah. What? No, uh, it's not yeah. ringing. He was putting the dicks in his ass off. Oh, that's just... I don't know about that. It's not even possible, really. Hey, Flexibility-wise, you cannot... You can't rotate like that. Oh, that thing can bend. Yeah. Mm. You ever heard of fisting? No. You mean like punching somebody? Fisting is this thing that gay men do up where they, they start small, and eventually there's a whole fist in their ass, and they're just punching like Roy Jones Jr. Would, or Mike Tyson. Sounds they're like a weight. That, punching the shit in, in their colon time their actual consuming. fist. It's a whole fist in their ass. I don't think... Like, it's a weird project. A lot of soap afterwards. I can't see it. February 10th, 1975. Ed Stoll fires Eli Stutzman, and he is kicked out of the house. This was the final straw. The rubber dicks, you know, whatever. Maybe he was playing with them, throwing them against windows because they've got suction cups on the back of them. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with a yeah. rubber dick that's not sexual. I didn't know. But the, the gay porno mags sealed the deal. He was out. Now, Eli kind of couch surfs. Until March 18, 1975, and it's then that he told Liz and Leroy Chupp while visiting in Holmesville that he planned to sell his car, get rid of the English clothes, and return to the Schwarzenegger sect full-blown and go full, back to full-blown Schwarzenegger Amish. I wish you wouldn't use, after everything we just said, full-blown just seems like the wrong wrong words to... We're going to use it in, uh, in some other forms here in a little oh, bit. Don't worry. Okay. That phrase is going to come back. Don't you, don't worry, I'll, okay. I've got you. Yeah, you do. Yep. April of 1975, he moves into Elam Baumtrager's farm and begins the process of rejoining the community. Now, it's a slow process. They are forgiving people, but it's a it it takes time. You got to kind of slowly prove yourself, and he does over a period of time. And by the summer of 1975, Eli Stutzman makes his confession in church at the home of Enos and Lovina Schwarzenegger of Apple Creek. And by the end of that church session, Eli has has officially been forgiven and is welcomed back to his father's old Amish Schwarzenegger community with open arms. He's back. He's back. Whew. Oh, that was a bit of a diversion. Going from closed fists to open arms, though. He's back. <laughs> Just like that. From open buttholes nah, to open arms. That's beautiful. Probably not. That is beautiful. Not that. Now, afterwards, Eli is hired by the school board again to teach at Cherry Ridge School. Wow, they really... He starts back dating... <laughs> they, they, they move Who quick I? when they bring somebody back in. Put them right back in, in front of kids. Yeah, when you're forgiven in an Amish community, like it's like... You hit the ground running. You sure do. You sure do. Just don't do it in fancy shoes. Yes. Horse buttons not allowed. No horse buttons. Now, he starts dating Ida Gingrich again, his old flame. From So they're dating again. And on December 25th, 1975, Eli Stutzman and Ida Gingrich are married in traditional Amish fashion. Ida's father, Amos, presents them with a bedroom set a dry sink, and a hutch as a wedding present. Now, he had made them all himself out of oak. Uh, he was very, uh, later it would say that he was very proud of them, but he didn't let anybody know that because that's a sin. Mm. He had put a lot of work into that into that uh, bedroom set. They get a house on Gideon Gingrich's land, which is Ida's cousin, and it's a 50-acre farm. 
and they set it up to grow old together. So he's like, he's trying to, he's trying to go back to aunt. He's trying, he's trying here. Well, sort of. He's sort of trying because meanwhile, um, there's there is one instance where Eli was doing work for a 45 year old David Amstutz who wasn't Amish. He was just an Englisher, but he did do a lot of business with the Amish, right? So this is just a dude, just an old farmer. He, he uses them for help sometimes. He doesn't care. He chews tobacco. He he you know he watches Jerry Springer. He watches he watches Murder She Wrote. Mm. This is not an Amish man. Yeah, definitely not. Wayward if he was. So David Amstutz wasn't Amish, but he did work with the Amish a lot, and because of this, Eli was working for him. Now one night, while bringing Eli back to the Bontrager farm. Eli blurted out out of nowhere. They're just driving down the road. There's probably like on the radio. It's it's like a little quiet. My heart of glass. Tell me, tell you know they're not they're not talking. And Eli's just like, I'll give you twenty dollars if you let me give you a blowjob. Whoa, whoa! That's a pretty good deal. Is it? That's a pretty good deal. I mean, if you're not the one that has to give the blowjob, you receive for twenty dollars. That seems. That seems backward. Like revert, you can reverse get prostitution. Twenty dollars and a big. You can get a blowjob and a Big Mac. It's a lot of meat. <laughs> well, David Amstutz didn't think it was a good deal. He was like, "Nah, I'm good." And then he pushed him away. At this point, Eli said, "Twenty-five dollars," which proves that that Eli's is Amish and not Jewish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For the first time in this episode, I just my I just got nervous, but I think it's just my social <laughs> social social awareness radar kicking in. Because <laughs> so, suddenly we stepped on a culture that a people that is socially. <laughs> oh, Dave! Whenever Eli said twenty five dollars, David said. What in the heck and heck? Now, no, you can't put me in your mouth for $25. And then Eli offered $60, and David was like, okay, here's my dick. I'm kidding. He didn't. David kicked him out and made Eli walk. The man has high principles. Very high value. And this is right after Eli had gotten married. David never told anybody about it until long afterwards the, when things started getting really bad. Now, Ida... Eli's wife almost almost immediately becomes pregnant after the marriage and spends many nights the next nine months wondering where Eli is because he doesn't come home until the wee hours of the morning. And when he does come home in the wee hours of the morning, the smell of semen is heavy on his breath. I, just, I may have made that last part up, but he's definitely out doing gay shenanigans. Ugh. Now, on September 7th, 1976, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Danny was born. It's like a Hitler youth, <laughs> just like everything Hitler wanted in a in a child, little Blonde-headed, fucking pasty-skinned, blue-eyed shithead. <laughs> uh, with the new baby, Eli decided that they needed a farm of their own. And on March 1977, he purchases and purchases a 95-acre farm from Daniel Schwarzenegger on a handshake deal for seventy-two thousand five hundred dollars. At this time, Danny is now six months old. Now, a handshake deal. This means, yeah, I'll get you back sometime. That's what that means. That's how Amish do business. They don't do paperwork. Ah. It's just like, yeah. So That's a lot of money for an infant. No, not Danny. The six-month-old didn't buy the farm. He's probably out there working on it. They got him crawling around, chewing on potatoes. But 
I, Eli bought the farm. Oh, okay, okay. The, okay. the 95 acre farm. And that's a lot of land for $72,500. Yeah, that's a good deal. We're going to learn that Eli, like, constantly takes advantage of his, the Amish kind of um, habit of being naive and giving and forgiving. Yeah, you'll see. Because, like I said, this was a handshake deal, right? Even though it's a handshake deal, you need to keep in mind that, fi- that like, paperwork-wise, this is now in Eli's name. This is his farm. How did they do the part where you have to get $72,500? Was that paperwork? I mean, you got to probably... Well, I think that they just fill it out. Daniel is like, hey, yeah, Eli owns this farm now. They fill out the paperwork. Yeah, he's paying me $72,500. It's all caught up. This is now his farm, and then it's a handshake deal. It's like, yeah, get me when you can. Get me when you can. We're Amish. We take care of each other like that. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So with his family moved into the new farm, Eli starts a dairy business, and at this time, around this time, they're settling into their new farm. They find out that Ida is pregnant again. Now, on July 11th, 1977, Ida is now 26 years old, and she is four months pregnant with their second child. That night, on July 11th, 1977, Eli and Ida are laying in bed, and they're awoken, awakened, woke up, around midnight to discover that their barn was on fire. Pregnant Ida ran out to try to save some equipment from the, from the milk room, and while she's doing that, Eli fetches a pail of water like the little rascals. Um, this is a big barn fire, and he runs to fetch a pail of water. Yeah. It's not going to help. He's running fast in a panic. Half of it spills out by the time he gets there. It's like a half a liter. <laughs> the whole barn's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> he go, He just he, he throws like it's a whole bunch of water and just goes for a second. And then... <laughs> Fucking idiot. Uh, but when he returned with the, I use the word bucket of water loosely, Ida was unconscious on the ground. He claimed he tried to revive her. The neighbors called 911, and when 911 arrived, it was too late. She was dead from what appeared to be smoke inhalation. She was declared dead at 1.47 a.m. Now, for whatever reason, the book went into detail about how badly burned her left nipple was. So now you know that. Her Amish nipple was out, and that's a sin. She'd probably inhale now. So, from um, a, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, from a timeline standpoint, she runs into the barn to get some milk products. He runs to get a pail of water, and by the, by the time he gets back to the barn, she's dead. She's dead. That just doesn't. Yes, that doesn't pencil for me. Not adding up, is it? All? No, not really. Like I said. She was dead. Eli said, told, told the ambulance uh, that she had a heart condition as a child that made it weak. So she had a bad heart. And because of that, the coroners, they didn't do any deep digging. Like I said, the Amish, they're, they're private people, and everybody surrounding the Amish communities respects that. So on the death certificate, the coroner just wrote, heart stopped. And no investigation was done, despite the fact that Ida's parents was like, hey, Ida never had a heart problem. And... Heart stop just put on the death certificate. And isn't that no matter the cause, how we all die? <laughs> I mean, you can put that on any if you're catching AK forty seven round to the fucking dome and it blows the brains out of the back of your skull. Yeah. Technically the reason you died is because your heart stopped. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. It pretty much is the last thing, the most obvious 
that coroner should just probably be fired. Well, you know how you said off that that's suspicious. All this is suspicious. Yeah. Here's I'll do I'll do you one better. Earlier that very evening, so the the night that day prior to the night of the fire, Ida had by pure coincidence up filled out her final will with attorney Tim Blosser, leaving Eli Stutzman with everything that she owned should something happen to her. I thought so too. August fifth, nineteen seventy seven. The entire Amish community comes together, and that's more than 200 of them, to build Eli a new barn. Now, the layout for this barn is designed by Eli for them to build, and it had far more stalls than what they felt a dairy farm needed. But he built, but they built it how he wanted it anyway. He was grieving. He had just lost his wife. He's young. They feel bad for him. The Amish take care of their own. You could say a lot of thing about, think, things about the Amish. They, that is a community, a tight-knit community, and all of this is done free of charge, completely free of charge. He doesn't even have, Eli doesn't even have to pay for the materials. They finished the entire barn from the ground up in one day. I would like to see this in real time. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? You know what I mean? Because I bet it's impressive. It looked like, you know those fast, those time lapse where like a bunch of maggots eat a raccoon? And just takes it down to the ground. Yeah. It'd be like the reverse of that. But it's like a bunch of maggots building a raccoon. Yeah, it'd be like 200, yeah. 200 maggots rebuilding a raccoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a weird visual. Now, Eli spends that whole day, so all the 200 Amish people are out here helping him because they feel bad for him, building a barn that he designed. Eli spends that whole day sleeping in bed. What? He didn't even get out of bed? Yeah. He didn't even get out of bed. It's at this point, Ida's parents step in to help start taking care of Danny. Concerned when Eli wouldn't... The, the, so the, the family, they start getting concerned. They're taking care of Danny. Eli wouldn't return for days on end. So he's out doing doing gay things and just being being gay and doing gay stuff. And Eli claimed he was out looking for work, but he wasn't. He was actually doing what I, what I was just talking about there. Now, mid-December of 1977... Eli, out of nowhere, lets everybody know he's leaving the Amish again. I'm done, though. I'm out. He's out. He cuts his hair. He shaves off his beard. And he gets English clothes again. It's like he's rebelling as an adult, like an angsty teen. He probably bought a 77 Chevelle and starts listening to Black Sabbath. You know, <laughs> playing his music loud. Shut up, Mom. Buys a bumper sticker. Gets acne got a heart on all the time doesn't understand what's happening with his body he's getting hair in weird places just all kinds of stuff all kinds of stuff he doesn't do any of that stuff he does however add electricity to his house that he had essentially now stolen from Schwarzenegger. now he's not paying on this anymore oh on the land he, he owns this farm huh yeah he's not Amish anymore so he doesn't owe Schwarzenegger anything as far as he's concerned and Schwarzenegger is now just out a 95-acre farm. Because he's Amish, too, they just kind of take it on the chin. There's no retaliation. So, uh, like I said, he adds electricity to his house. He gets TVs, televisions. He gets modern plumbing. He gets a telephone. And he also buys a brand-new shiny blue cutlass. He bought a sword? No, a vehicle. A, an Oldsmobile. Because a cutlass. Cutlass is a pirate sword. It's also a vehicle, and, you know, of the two things 
that I that I just said he could have purchased just by logic, you know, process of elimination. I say shiny blue cutlass in your head. You, th- we're talking about him going to modern living, right? Mm. Modern living. He's going to modern living, not ancient back to ancient living. So the two things in your operator head that it could have been, you went. There was a little clicker. Option one was a sword, a pirate sword, or a a, a cutlass, an Oldsmobile cutlass. You went to Pirate Sword. I'd say four, I'd say if you walked downtown and four out of five asked him about a cutlass, six pounds to ten cents in the one hand, they'd tell you Pirate Sword. Yeah, and I'll take that bet all day. Yep, me too. Well, as it turns out, Eli had planned on leaving the Amish the entire time. It had always been his goal. He just wanted a farm. He had used coming back to the Amish community as leverage to get the farm and had them build him a racehorse barn free of charge. Oh, 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 oh. Racehorses are very much against Amish beliefs, and that's what Eli had, had that's why he had picked the new barn. You would have think that the 200 people would have been suspicious when he was like, now I also want a big oval track for the dairy cows to walk on. Just outside of the barn, big oval <laughs> track. I want a rabbit on a stick that runs around the inside of the oval, oval tr- for the for the cows. For the that's cows. racing dogs up. Yeah. Oh, the rabbit. Mm. Have you ever been to a horse races? Um, no. Now, me being in Kentucky, right? Oh yeah. This is a horse racing state. That's what we're famous for. Yes, Kentucky thoroughbreds. One thing when I was in college that a lot of the frat boys liked to do was go to the horse races, and I always hated it. It was awful mm. uh, because you have to dress. They won't let you. I think a lot of people that, that have never been around horse racing, they think it's probably kind of inbred, right? A bunch of smelly white people like a NASCAR event, maybe. Yeah, right. Horse racing is very uppity, very pretentious, um, very high. You can't get in. There's a dress code. Button up, slacks. Yeah, I was going to say, in my mind, when I think of women going to the horse races, or I've even seen pictures of women at horse races on Facebook, their heads are always covered in a giant oversized hat with holes in it, and the light passes through and just sort of dapples their face. I feel like face dappling via a headpiece is a prerequisite for entry at a horse Equestrian event. It is. They. I mean, it's like you got to get in. You got to get in your church clothes. Yeah, that seems weird. I hated it. I always hated it. So you went. And I live. So, so, yeah, I used to go. I'm right now where I'm sitting. Right now is 30 minutes from Keeneland, which is where the Kentucky Kentucky Derby. And and you I mean, and you'd get like all the biggest horse race in the world. You get all gussied up, just like your friends. Like you accepted this peer pressure. I think the Kentucky Derby is at Keeneland. Pretty sure it is. It's a big racetrack. It's, yeah, you got to get all you got to get off all, all flossied up. I think this is worthy of a picture on Patreon or Facebook sometime. I haven't been to the Keeneland since I was probably uh, twenty years old. I'm thirty four now. That was fourteen years ago, um, and I hated it, so I never went. Mm. Uh, other than that, a couple times, and the beer is over overpriced. The food is overpriced, and you just gamble with a bunch of other uppity people it's like i hated it so it's just not my gig yeah it's not my environment 
Yeah, it sounds like Chamber of Commerce meet and greets around here. Not my not my bag of tea either. I hear you. A lot of, I would imagine now it's a lot of frat boys and Sperry's. Sperry's, pink, pink shorts that rival the length of running shorts. And yes. Somewhere on every male body there's a flamingo emblazoned on something. Yes. And exactly. And even if the group doesn't have a member named to this, somehow mysteriously one man is always renamed to Chaz. Just to complete the order. And the thing about Sperry's, I had a I had a good friend that called Sperry's boat owner shoes. Yeah. That's what he referred to him as. And we'd be somewhere out and he'd see somebody in Sperry's and he'd go, Look at that guy, he must own a boat. Yeah. I bet that guy owns a boat. Probably true. Now the next few years of Eli Stutzman's life, we're gonna flash through them a little bit here. It's a couple chapters in the book, uh, and anywhere you read. Um the next few years are a blur of gay sex and traveling for gay sex and then when he got home there would be more gay sex he would travel to Oklahoma all over Ohio Florida and just about everywhere in between for gay sex there was gay sex on the farm gay sex in the barn there was even gay sex with a man who essentially had a fleshy third arm gay sex in the bed gay sex in the shed sometimes Stussman would just accept giving head uh, the last part is true. He loved giving blowjobs. Loved giving blowjobs. There was nothing. He, there was never. He was never happier than there was just a big old dick in his throat. That was his favorite. So odd. I just. Oh. So now, now between all the gay sex, he threw lavish barn parties where all the gay men within a thirty mile radius would meet up in his barn and do stuff with their orifices and dance to Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. Hey, oh, that reminds me. Everything terrible that you just said reminded me of a thing that I was going to tell you that I just remembered. I was going to tell you that Jack told me if you if you ever have an episode that is extremely bad languaged, to you can have him come on the show. I forgot to forgot to tell you that. Oh no, we're not going to do that. You're going to ride this one out with me, Op. I think he's still awake. We're just getting started because eventually Eli Stutzman grows tired of Ohio, sells his farm for two hundred thousand dollars. Which is a pretty good deal. That's a 200,000% profit <laughs> on what he paid for it. <laughs> and I'm not a businessman, but that's that's a good deal. That is a steal of a deal. <laughs> he takes Danny, his son, and hits the road. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit through through Eli's life again here. Another, another beefy part. He has a stint where he buys a ranch in Colorado for a few years and does a lot of a lot of stuff there with his mouth and butt uh, for a while there too. A lot of blowjobs and whatnot, and anal sex and stuff. Eli was a bottom, by the way, up in case you were wondering. He was a bottom. He was also uncircumcised, uh, just in case you were wondering. He also had apparently a huge penis, like I half didn't. horse. It was like a huge dick. The book talks about his his dick quite a bit for whatever reason, uh, just in case you were wondering. Uh, he had a huge dick and it was uncircumcised. Where do you, where do you have to? Do, is there like a 
satanic version I'm of just, it. I'm just relaying information. Amazon that you buy this terrible book at. Yeah, I'll, I'll plug the book at no. the end. It's actually a really good book. Eh. It just it gets odd at some of the things that it chooses to elaborate on. And one thing that it elaborated on on more than one occasion was how huge Eli Stutzman's penis was and that it was uncircumcised. It's a... I would say, I would just say moving on, but I fear what's around the next corner every time we move on. <laughs> it gets fun because Eli meets a man through the paper. He was always putting ads out in the paper for, you know, well-hung Amish man looking for another man. Uh, he liked to be on the bottom. Like I said, he was a bottom, which means that he likes for the stuff to enter him. He doesn't like to enter other people. He likes to be entered. And uh, he puts an ad out in the paper to be entered. And a man by the name of Tom Agnello, who lived in Austin, Texas, answers. And the two get close via pen pal. And the, it's and after a, a relationship by pen, uh, they agree that Eli should live with him. And that and on November eighth, nineteen eighty three, they move to Austin, Texas. Eli and Danny do, and they get a house with with Agnello. At 3408 Baton Road in Austin, Texas. Now, the relationship with Agnello lasted about four seconds. And uh, around this time, Eli starts a construction business. So Eli and Danny are now living in Austin, Texas. He is single now, uh, and he's got a construction business going up. That was a lot of history in that brief couple paragraphs. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we covered this. Fall of 1984, oh, Eli pulls over for a male hitchhiker. It was a 24-year-old man by the name of Glenn Albert Pritchett. Glenn was an ex-Coast Guardian, and I don't know if that's what you call him. I don't even know what the Coast Guard does, and I was in the military. I still don't know. Sounds magical. <laughs> Who had a... Do you? Does anybody know? Yeah, the Coast Guardians do. They know. That's about it. Uh, well, Glenn was one of those people who was in this, you know, Illuminati organization who had abandoned his wife and two young children because of his alcoholism and had decided to live a drifter lifestyle, which is very desirable. Uh, it's very fashionable in Portland. He was trying to get clean. He had no money and no place to stay. Now, so Eli sees him hitchhiking. According to the book, he was a good-looking guy. Eli offers him a job at his construction company and a room at his house. Now Glenn accepts excitedly. He's like, "Yeah, this is a foot. This is a hand up." Now Danny loves Glenn. Danny, Danny, the little boy. Eli's little boy loves Glenn, and Glenn didn't like that Eli and his boyfriends would fool around on the couch in front of Danny. So there's already a little tension building. Uh, Danny. Glenn really doesn't approve of, of Eli's lifestyle. He's kind of homophobic. Mm. But uh, he, he's, he realizes he's got a good thing when he's got a room and, a, and he's getting paid. And But the problem is Eli starts becoming unreliable about paying Glenn on time and eventually stops paying him altogether. Uh, and like I said, Glenn also hates how sexually active that Eli was with his boyfriends in front of Danny. Now, one night, Glenn confronts Eli about not getting paid. And Eli tells Glenn that he should just be grateful for having a place to stay. Glenn tells Eli, I'm no longer working construction with you until I get paid what I am owed. And it is this point, old Glenn goes missing up. Got back out on the highway. <laughs> Most likely. He did hit the road in a way, I guess, because May 12th, 1985, several weeks later, his body is discovered in a ditch near Eli's home. So he was on the road for a bit. Sleeping? I guess, technically. 
Oh, no, he's very, very dead. Oh. He's very, very decomposed. He had been shot in his left eye, and like I said, the corpse was badly decomposed. Maggots covered the body, and the eyes had been pulled out by animals. When the Amish heard about it, did they call him Old Left Eye Glenn? I don't think the Amish heard about this one. They're kind of, they've got walls up. Not not physical walls, but they just kind of. Definitely. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. Definitely toward Eli at this point. So, okay, that's understandable. Now, the police visited Eli's house, and Eli told them that he hadn't seen Glenn in months. Eli claimed that Glenn had told him that he was getting on a bus and going to Montana to see his children. Yeah, somehow he fell on a gun. But Eli, as we have learned, uh, he's not very slick with not looking guilty, right, with the, with the wheel and everything. A few days after police questioning, Eli packs up all of his belongings, gets Danny, and hits the road. Danny is nine years old at this time. Wow. I feel like he had something to do with that. Surely not. So Eli and Danny, they head to Lyman, Wyoming, and they meet up with a couple of friends of Eli's that own a daycare. He tells them somebody was killed in his house and that the police think he's the one that did it. He tells them they need to keep Danny until he can clear his name. They agreed and they let Danny stay with them. That's when Eli hits the road and goes on a cross-country gaycation, just blowing and banging his way down the road and having the most fun he's ever had in his life. Sounds... Not possible. And he did. He he blew dudes in probably all 50 states, just live, just letting it all out. He made no attempt whatsoever to clear his name at all. He basically ditched his son at this at this daycare in, in Lyman, Wyoming, and hit the road. And he was just living life to the fullest stop and just having fun, and that's, pre- and that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Eli stays in Aztec, New Mexico for a bit which was just 40 minutes from 36-year-old David Tyler, who lived in Durango, Colorado. Now, David was a gay friend of Eli's, and they also liked doing drugs together. Eli dabbled in drugs, as I mentioned. And on November 10th, 1985, David Tyler ends up dead with blunt force trauma to his head in the bed of his truck behind an auto shop that he had partially owned. Um, His murder has never been solved. I don't feel like the rhyme was as good on that one as the last murder you elucidated on oh i did have a rhyme man that one wasn't even intentional yeah i'm like dr dre oh i can't even help myself i see your okay i see what you're doing one month later another acquaintance of eli's and david's 24 year old dennis slater is shot and killed at his work at a convenience store coincidence i think not op yeah this all happened in the short period of time that Eli was in the in the neighborhood, in the area. Seems like bodies are stacking up. Yeah, bodies are stacked. This is one, two, uh, three. This is four murders at this point. We're up to four. Six months later, he contacts the couple in Wyoming and lets them know he's coming to collect Danny and that he was going to take Danny home to his former Amish community for Christmas. He claimed that Ida's parents, his wife that he had murdered, we're wanting to see Danny. Now, on December 14th, 1985, Eli writes a letter to a boyfriend in Missouri saying that he'll be visiting him for Christmas, but he will not have his son Danny with him. One could say this is premeditation. I was just trying to figure out whether or not uh, saying that he was going back to the Amish community for Christmas was a ruse, but they do actually celebrate Christmas, so I guess that was... 
relatively believable. Yeah, they probably just get new work gloves. <laughs> Some seeds. <laughs> A new jacket for their Bible. I think they just focus on Jesus a lot more than we do. Oh, there's not gifts? I don't know. I don't know, but there is a guy named Jesus they they cover. Oh. In that. I have to, well, Jesus. I'll tell you about him sometime. Not right now, because okay. the, the, the uh, spirit won't stay in my headphones. <laughs> oh. Now, like I said, he sent that letter on December 14th telling his boyfriend in Missouri that he'll be visiting him for Christmas, and he won't have Danny with him. And on December 17th, 1985, Eli picks Danny up in Wyoming. He gets all of Danny's belongings and hits the road. He claims he's headed back towards Ohio. So he says he's going back to the Amish community. According to Eli, when he picked Danny up, Danny wasn't feeling well. He had a sore throat and a fever and was on antibiotics. Now, he claimed that on his way to Ohio... He suggested to Danny that they stop at a hospital and get Danny looked at. But nine-year-old Danny insisted that they were on a tight time crunch and that such trivial things weren't worth paying attention to. They must get home to, for Christmas, after all, at all costs, for family. He's, Danny's doing it for family. He's pushing through the pain like for, for family like Vin Diesel and all those stupid-ass Fast and the Furious movies. Danny is nine years old, though. So who is the, who is the parent here? Eli claimed he does stop at one point and lets Danny open one of the Christmas presents that Eli had gotten for him. When he opened it, he discovered a pair of blue pajamas. Danny puts them on. Now, as they're driving through Chester, Nebraska, Eli claims he tries to say something to Danny, who's in the back seat, but Danny doesn't respond. He then reaches back and grabs Danny's leg and shakes it. Danny doesn't respond. Eli pulls the car over, gets into the back seat, and realizes that Danny isn't breathing. So he's just randomly died, according to Eli in the back seat, which happens to nine-year-olds. Yeah. Right? What is that? Sids? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sudden, instant Danny suicide, I think is what it stands for. No, that doesn't happen. doesn't normally happen to nine-year-olds. No. Now, according to Eli, he pulls the body from the car, puts it in the field, and covers it with snow. And then he says he spends several hours there praying. And then he just, <laughs> then he just continued on his way to the Amish community. I don't believe it. So he's very heartbroken over this. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not believing him. When he arrived there, he told his Amish family that Danny had decided to stay in Wyoming and go skinning, right, go skiing, skinning. <laughs> Sorry, I got a lot of flesh on the brain right now. It's, <laughs> this is a very fleshy story. Common Christmas activity. After Christmas, so he spends Christmas with the Amish community. He thinks they think Danny's in Wyoming skiing. He leaves again and hits the road again. Now, we're going to do a little side quest here up. We're going to go into the story of Little Boy Blue, which was a kind of nationwide story back in 1985. December 24th, 1985, Thayer County Sheriff Gary Young and his chief deputy, Bill McPherson, are called out to the scene of a discovered body. It's a child's body. Now, the body had been discovered by a local man by the name of Chuck Cleveland who was driving to town for a haircut. He just wants to get a clip, gets his get his ears lowered. <laughs> <laughs> and when he noticed uh, out of, he's driving through the he's driving down the, down this country road, he notices uh, 
blue clothes sticking out of the snow about 15 feet from the road in a field. He gets out. He immediately sees that it's a body and notifies the police. Now, when the sheriff and deputy arrive, they take note of the condition of the body. Much of the face, nose, and lips has been chewed away by animals, rats, raccoons, uh, wildebeests. At first, everyone thought it was a little girl. They they search the scene. No real evidence is found. Um, one of the deputies does unzip the uh, blue pajamas and sees that it's a little boy, and then they realize it's a boy. Uh, and it really ruined Christmas for everyone involved. So you're saying little boy blue, and you said it's a side quest like we're on a little Zelda adventure. But this was his son. Yeah. That's that's what... This was Danny. Okay. Yes, this was Danny. Now, at the time, they don't know it's Danny. It's an unidentified child. It was a huge deal. You've likely seen the posters of Danny, Little Boy Blue. Yeah. Um, this is what... Uh, this is the most known part of this story, Little Boy Blue. And you'll actually find that podcast will do a... Uh, talk about Little Boy Blue, but they don't go into Eli Stutzman very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the town of Chester, where, where Danny was found, Little Boy Blue at this point, uh, kind of adopted the child uh, even though he wasn't a lot of uh, fun to be around at the time um uh, he had been called little boy blue that's how he'd been tagged in the papers a mother from fairberry donates her son's size eight suit to the to the body a widow gave up one of her family plots in chester cemetery and a lady named dixie adams arranges for the donation of a marker which would read little boy abandoned Found near Chester, Nebraska, December 24th, 1985, whom we have called Matthew, which means gift from God. So they named him Matthew. Um, and this was a mystery for a very long time. And they they, they did it. I, I, I missed that. Did they do an autopsy? Like They did do an autopsy. That's a great question. And I don't know why I didn't go into that in, in my research. Uh, I mean, I did go into it. I read about it. I don't know why I didn't put it in this. And this is what they found in the autopsy. So um, there was no signs of abuse um whatsoever the uh, this is kind of brutal i guess the reason i avoided it's because it's a child but the uh there was a problem with the anus that i'm not going to go into which immediately was decided to be because of the cold Mm. and and the death it ended up not being uh sexual abuse or anything uh and there was some bruising around the neck which uh, uh, originally was thought to be uh ligature marks or strangling but the coroner uh decided was because of marbling uh, due to the cold weather. Hmm. And that's all that was. Everything else uh, was found to be normal. Um, he had had a meal a few hours prior to dying, and uh, all the insides and everything looked looked. Fine. It's funny that, that they were like, you know, it seems like the coroner was like, all right, let's try to connect the dots so all of this is just, you know, as it would be if a nine-year-old boy in blue pajamas froze to death out on the middle of nowhere highway 10 something yes like unidentified and by the way nobody's claiming that their child's missing yeah like children don't do that they don't die like that so maybe do your job a little better <laughs> you know and uh, and the sheriff and the deputy sheriff were insistent that that those those places on his neck were consistent with being choked and strangled and the still the coroner's like nah the coroner was like, nope. And the coroner's uh, logic uh, that you have a bone in your throat that gets broken, or it's a cartilage. Yeah. Uh, and that's what is consistent with strangulation, right? Mm. But uh, 
what I ended up reading was the reason probably that Danny's wasn't broken is because he was a child. The child's thing in his throat there is very uh, elastic. Yes, soft, yes. And and has it's bendy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he could have been completely suffocated or strangled without without breaking that. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. More sense than the coroner. I was even going to say, if he was in the back seat, and I don't know if you were this way, but when I was a little tiny kid and I'm rolling around in the back seat and seatbelts are barely a thing, you know, I did the weirdest things. Like, I'd, I'd like try to climb between the seat cushion and the back cushion, like try to get into the trunk of the car just by squeezing my body yeah. through, you know. And I was thinking, what if he, like, you know, what if there was a carbon monoxide leak? You know, and he's just got his face wedged in some weird corner of the car and he kicks over because he got too much of that or most likely strangled. It seemed we're not. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get there, but it seems like uh, Danny was becoming an inconvenience in the lifestyle. Eli was a sexaholic. <clears throat> yeah, it was a nympho. Um, that's another point uh, that, that the book brings up a lot. His mind was overwhelmed by sex. That's all he thought about. That's all he cared about. Yeah. Was just uh, a lot of penises and penises and, and being around them and being near them and yeah. having them inside them and in his hands and his mouth and butt and stuff. It's just that's a lot of really what yeah. all he all he worried about really was penises. Yeah, that's all he thought about. It uh, seems to be the definitely seems to be the case with the weird that guy. So yeah, uh, this is just a a Danny is just a a cock block. Yeah, like a square. So the next year, rooster. The next year, Eli writes a letter to Ida's parents and tells them that Danny was killed in a car accident. At the same time, he writes a letter to the couple in Wyoming that had taken care of Danny for six months and uh, and lets them know that Danny is actually attending a private school in Ohio at the in the Amish community. So two very different stories to two people, right? Ida's parents, at, the, at hearing that Danny has been killed in a car wreck, Ida's parents, the Amish grandparents, Danny's grandparents, travel to Wyoming in order to visit Danny's grave marker, but they couldn't find it. Then they called the friends in Wyoming. Now, remember, at this point, Danny is still unidentified, right? Mm-hmm. And he's buried in Nebraska. Uh, and his marker says, Little Boy Blue. Or it says unidentified child. They, they had called him Matthew. So at, at this point, Danny is still uh, lying in a grave in, in Nebraska unidentified. So when Ida's grandparents get to Wyoming to visit Danny's grave marker, where he, according to Eli, had been in a car wreck, they couldn't find it. They call the friends in Wyoming who are under the impression that Danny is at a private school in Ohio. And they ask the friends in Wyoming, where is his marker? And they're like... What are you talking about? Danny isn't dead. He's at a school where you guys are. And this is when alarms start ringing. The stories aren't adding up. Op. They're not adding up. No. And they're starting to uh, flaws in, to, you know, in everybody's story except for the coroner. Obvious inconsistencies. <laughs> now, the couple from Wyoming in January of 1988 come across an article in the Reader's Digest about Little Boy Blue. So the Reader's Digest in January of 1988 had done an article, a piece on Little Boy Blue, this identified, unidentified child, uh, still surrounded in mystery at this point. Nobody knows what happened. And whenever they see the police sketch 
of Little Boy Blue of what he would have looked like. The, the couple from Wyoming immediately contact authorities and tell them that they think they know who the child is. It's at this point that the police compare fingerprints to a palm print they had of Danny on a school record to the fingerprints from the autopsy, and the results come back. Little Boy Blue is none other than Danny Stutzman. Ugh. So Little Boy Blue, is the case has been solved as, as far as the uh, identification is. In 1987... Police are now looking for Dan- for Eli Stutzman, and Eli Stutzman is now in Azle, Texas, working as a carpenter and hiding out in a trailer six miles outside of town. He knows the cops are looking for him. It's at this point that police are tipped off by an anonymous phone call to his location, and an overnight stakeout is, is set forth. Eli is picked up by police for felony child abuse, but it wasn't able to be substantiated after Danny's autopsy because, like they said, they said that he had died from, from uh, the cold. He had frozen to death. Mm-hmm. The only marks on Donnie, on Danny were his neck. Like I said, Nebraska law enforcement believed he was strangled, but the medical examiner said otherwise that it was the cold weather. Eli is then taken back to Nebraska and charged with abandonment of a corpse and concealing Danny's death. He serves 18 months in Nebraska and is then taken back to Austin, Texas, where he is charged for the murder of his former roommate, Glenn Pritchard. On July 31st, 1989, he is sentenced to 40 years in prison after a jury finds him guilty of murdering Glenn Pritchard, and Eli is released in March of 2002 after serving 13 years. He gets an apartment in Fort Worth, Texas, where he makes and sells leather goods like purses and Bible covers and does a whole lot of crack. He does so much crack. Wow. So it's now March. He's done, he has now done 13 years in prison. He is free. It is March 2002. He's living in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, and he's he's doing crack. Eli's not. Eli's had better days. He is also now HIV positive. All those years of free love have caught up to him. He tells neighbors and friends different stories about his past. He tells some that he's never been married or had kids. He tells others he's been convicted of a murder he didn't commit. But it doesn't matter. None of it matters because on January 31st, 2007, like I said, Eli is HIV positive and 56 years old. As far as he can see from where he's sitting, he has nothing to live for. So he slits his left arm, grabs a blanket, wraps it around him, curls up on his couch to watch TV, and slips into the slow, icy grip of death. Nobody ever claimed his body. He laid in a morgue for weeks. The Amish never showed up. And uh, after that, he was buried in a pauper's grave. And that is the end of Eli Stutzman. Wow, what an, literally, what an ignominious death. It's just, what a waste. Five murders. Five murders, Op. The only gay Amish murderer in history. You know what I'm excited about, though, Op? That it's over? I mean, what? That... And TCK is the first podcast to cover this story in de- in depth. There are a few episodes that do like a little twenty minute snip, like nothing. It's just a glance over. A lot of the details are wrong, um, and nobody that I could find done a deep dive on this on this case. No, i I can't even I can't even confirm or deny that because I'd never heard of it before. So. I'm giving us all the awards for this and all details about this. So, good job. 
At this point, I would like to cite my source, uh, or uh, I used a lot of sources, old newspapers, uh, you know, articles, stuff written. But my main source was the book Abandoned Prayers by Greg Olson, and it is a beefy, heavy information book. Very well written. So much information. If I had, uh, if I had covered everything that's in the book on this episode, it would have been a, a three-part, eight-hour series on Eli Stutzman. That's how much information is is in the book. Yeah, and I feel like there was a lot of information that. Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I could have done without, but like what? I don't know. Just. I didn't put anything in this that wasn't necessary. No, yeah, no. Yes. Eli had a massive uncircumcised dick. I don't, I don't know if I... Oh, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm already interested in what's coming next. Do you, do you have anything to blot out the memory of this one? Like, do you know what we're doing? That uh, is a top secret. Yeah, uh, darn it. Aside from that, that's all I got. Up. All right. Uh, don't forget to rate and review. And Jason Vukovic, uh, the Alaskan Avenger, he has become a friend of the podcast. Um, spoke to him uh, a few days ago on the phone. Um, he's doing he's doing well. He thinks uh, he he would like to tell me everybody thank you for putting the money on his books and, and all that stuff. Uh, we're going to continue to rally behind him until he is free, like he should be. Op will put the. Uh, information for his commissary and all that stuff in the notes of this podcast. Like I said, don't forget to rate and review all that. And th- that is it. That's all I've got. It's been fun. Episode 21, Eli Stutzman. We have done it. I can't any- add anything better to that. So I'm just really ready for the next one. So you let me know when you're ready for that. And I will, I will stop washing my eyes with bleach at that point. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I love you. Huh? What?